uncomfortable. I'm a little uncomfortable because I can't tell who's here and who's not here because you guys aren't in your normal places. It looks like some giant creature took our auditorium and shook it up and then just let everybody kind of settle in place and you guys are in different places. But thank you for stepping outside of the boat this morning. Our goal is for all of us to get a little bit more comfortable with being a little uncomfortable And we'll be doing this throughout the year as we tie in with our theme, Out of the Boat, Living Uncomfortably. Last week, we began introducing our theme, and over the next couple of weeks, we will continue to do that. And as we do that, we'll continue to focus on Peter, Peter who stepped out of the boat and walked on water, the story that was just read. You know, this story is often read as a failure story. In fact, as a cautionary tale, we see Peter. He stepped out of the boat, and figuratively and literally, he is in over his head because he tried to walk on water. And then we see that Jesus has to rescue him, take this man of little faith back to the boat to safety. So in in many ways, and An odd reading of this story has become Peter's story is a cautionary tale. Just look at what happens when you step out and try something new. You find yourself in over your head. See what happens when you step out and try to do something you've never done before. You just fail. And sometimes you fail publicly and spectacularly. And you fail in a way that people are still talking about it 2,000 years later. So in this version of the story, those 11 guys who stayed in the boat, they become the heroes of the story. They're the pragmatic ones. They're the prudent ones. They stayed in the boat and they didn't get in over their heads. They didn't need rescuing. They didn't fail miserably and publicly and spectacularly. But I want you to know we're rejecting that version of this story. If you were here last week, you heard us talk about how back in 2010, our elders looked at our church and looked at themselves and concluded that one of the things holding this church back and holding most churches back, holding this church back from being fully the church that God has called us to be, is that many of us have become too comfortable Become too comfortable sitting prudently and pragmatically in our safe boats. They saw that this church didn't need more people sitting comfortably and prudently and pragmatically in their pews, in their boats. What they saw that we needed and what we need now is that we need more Peters. We need more people who are willing to call out to Jesus. More people who are willing to answer Jesus' call to come out of our boats. More people who are willing to walk toward Jesus. More people who are willing to risk failure as they walk on the water with Jesus. We need more Peters. And I say that with a full understanding that the more that we are like Peter... The more frequently we try something new, the more frequently we're going to fail. I say it knowing that the more often we're willing to do something we've never done before, the more likely it is that that will not work out. But I also say this with a full understanding that we need more Peters. 
Because I believe and I am certain that the only way that we're going to walk on water with Jesus is if we're willing to step out of our boats. So throughout 2018, we'll be asking ourselves this question. Will we as individuals and will we as a church stay comfortably inside our boats? Or are we going to join Jesus out on the water? We'll be asking each other, will you stay comfortably in your boat or will you join Jesus out on the water? And we shouldn't take these questions lightly. See, we understand it's not easy to get out of the boat. It's scary out there on the water. Which is probably why the most often repeated command in the Bible is some version of do not fear. Some version of fear not. Some version of do not be afraid. Throughout the Bible, over and over again, God's people are consistently admonished and encouraged to be fearless. And I'm convinced that the reason why the Bible talks so much about not having fear is because we are so afraid. The Bible repeatedly says, fear not, because our fear is the number one reason why we so frequently avoid doing what God asks us to do and what God calls us to do. The Bible talks about setting fear aside because God knows that fear is the primary reason why we refuse his call to get out of our boats. It's fear that keeps us in our boats. Well, what are we afraid of? Well, we're afraid of all kinds of things. But our primary fears can be grouped in two basic categories. The first category is we are afraid of the unknown. We tend to stay in our boats not because we know what is out on the water, but because we're afraid of what might be out on the water. We're afraid of the unknown. And also, we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of messing up. We're afraid of getting in over our heads. And our fear of failure is in many ways the fear of the known. See, we fear failure because we know ourselves so well. We know our weaknesses. We know that we can't walk on water by ourselves. So getting out of the boat seems like a certain recipe for failure. So the Bible doesn't say fear not because the water out there isn't scary. It is scary. Instead, the Bible says fear not because the God of all that water is out there on the water. The Bible says fear not because the God who has made himself known is out there on the water. That's why we're encouraged to set aside our fear and get out of the boat. It's because Jesus is out on the water. See, sometimes the Bible is sold as a self-help pop psychology book to, to convince you that you are so good and you are so worthy that you can do anything that you put your mind to. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't tell me to fear not because I'm powerful. It doesn't tell me to fear not because I am capable and confident and energetic. The Bible doesn't tell me to fear not because I'm on top of the world. The Bible doesn't tell me to fear not because I'm incapable of failure. 
The Bible doesn't even tell us to get out of the boat because we're stable geniuses. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, what the Bible says, the Bible says, fear not because Jesus, the all-powerful, the all-capable Savior of the world, is out there on the water waiting for us. The Bible says, don't be afraid to get out of the boat because the one who can be trusted to rescue us when we fail, he's waiting for us out on the water. Jesus is out on the water, so fear not. So for us, the question is whether we're going to live our lives based on fear or if instead we're going to live our lives based on our faith, our faith in our Lord. Is fear going to keep us in our boats or is our faith going to lead us out on the water? And what I want to do with the rest of our time together is I want to look at two case studies from the Bible. Two stories where people like us had clear decisions to make. They either had to decide to live by their fear and stay in their boats or live by their faith and join God out on the water. And the first case study you'll find in the book of Numbers, this would be a good time to turn there. Numbers will be in chapter 13. In this story that we're going to look at, it's like the story of Peter walking on the water. In this story, it centers around 12 men. And these men aren't literally in a boat, but they're together figuratively in a boat. And we're going to see that 10 of these men are driven by fear and two of these men are driven by faith. 10 of these men are all for staying in the boat, staying in the safety of the boat. And two of the men are all for joining God out on the water. So let's have a quick setup of this story. After hundreds of years of captivity and slavery in Egypt, the Israelites call out to God for rescue, and God sends Moses. Moses, who's a somewhat unlikely and certainly an unwilling rescuer. And after a series of miraculous signs performed by God through Moses, the king of Egypt finally relents and he sets God's people free. And what follows that is a winding journey. And in many ways, that winding journey is marked by the fear of the people. Fear of getting killed on the shores of the Red Sea. Fear of dying of thirst. Fear of dying of hunger. Fear of being abandoned by Moses and abandoned by his God. Fear of the unknown and fear of failure. There's so much fear. Fear of the unknown and fear of failure that even the boat of slavery, even the boat of slavery looked like a safer and more comfortable option than this journey of joining God out on the water. But this journey was also marked by God's faithfulness. The parting of the Red Sea instead of certain death. Miraculous springs instead of dying thirst. Manna and quail instead of starvation. The presence of God instead of abandonment. So this long and winding journey finally reaches its destination. God has brought his people to the edge of Canaan. It's the promised land. It's a country of their own. And this is where we meet our 12 men in their proverbial boat. Numbers 13, verse 1. We read, The Lord said to Moses, 
Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent the twelve men out. Skipping down to verse 17. When Moses sent the men to explore Canaan, he said, See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So these 12 men are given a task. The task they're given is go check out our new home. See what it's like. See what we're going to be up against. Tell us about this land that God is giving us. So the 12 men do what they were told. They're gone for 40 days, and then they come back to give a report. So they give Moses this account. We're reading from verse 27. They say, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And then listen as fear takes center stage. And they say, But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified, and they're very large. Fear is talking. Now listen to faith, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people. And before Moses, he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But fear has to speak again. But the men who had gone up with him said, We... We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And fear, as it often does, proves to be contagious. Chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Fear has taken hold. And fear says we should go back to our boat. But faith isn't through speaking. Verse 6. Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. It's a clear confrontation between fear and faith. Fear says they're powerful. Fear says their cities are fortified. Their cities are large. Fear says they are too big for us. 
Fear says they're stronger than us. And because they're stronger than us, they will devour us. Fear says we're going to fall by the sword. Failure is certain. And not only will we fall by the sword, they're going to take our wives and our children from us as plunder. Fear says we'd be better off back in the boat, even if that boat was the boat of slavery. Fear says this land isn't a gift. This land is a trap. And we're certainly going to fail. Fear says get us back in the boat. Get us back in any boat. But the counter voice of faith is really quite simple. Faith says we can do it. Not because we're so strong and they're so weak. We can do it. Faith says we can do it because God is with us and God will give us this land. Faith says we won't be devoured. We'll swallow them up because the Lord is with us. Faith says do not be afraid. It says get out of the boat and take this gift that God will surely give us. But tragically, fear wins. Fear overwhelms their faith. And God's instinct is to immediately destroy the entire nation of Israel and just start over. But God relents, and instead he sends them on a 40-year journey where everyone over the age of 20 is going to die. And they'll never experience the promised land. Everyone will die except those two voices of faith. Everyone except Caleb and Joshua. Everyone except the two men who are ready to get out of the boat And join God out on the water. Well, now for case study number two. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you want to turn there. 1 Samuel 17. It's a familiar story. And in this familiar story, we see that Saul and his entire army are stuck in a boat together. And they're stuck in a boat together because of one giant man. They're stuck in the boat together because of Goliath. You see, King Saul and his army were at war with the Philistines. Israel's on one hill, and the Philistines are on another hill, and there's a valley in between the two armies. And twice a day, morning and evening, the biggest and baddest Philistine of them all comes out. It's Goliath. Goliath is over nine feet tall. He's covered in heavy armor. His weapons are huge and impressive. And every morning and evening, he comes out into the valley between the two armies and he yells up to the Israelites. Reading from verse 8. Goliath says, choose a man. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. He says, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing Goliath's words, Saul and the Israelite army were dismayed and terrified. Fear is speaking. Verse 24, we hear fear speak once more. When the Israelites saw the man, when they saw Goliath, they all ran from him in great fear. Fear is talking loud and clear. It's talking loud and clear every morning and every evening for 40 days. 
Well, while all this is going on, David, who's the youngest of Jesse's eight sons, he comes to the scene. He's bringing supplies to his older brothers who are part of Saul's army. And David, this young man, too young for the army, David becomes the voice of faith. David sees Goliath do his thing. He hears Goliath's speech. And he also sees Israel's boat-seeking reaction. He sees them run in fear. And David says in verse 26, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David goes to King Saul and he says in verse 32, Let no one lose heart on account of Goliath. I will go and fight him. And King Saul reacts as you would expect. It's like, no way. You're just a boy. No way can you go fight this professional giant soldier. But David persists, and his faith persists. And we read in verse 36 that David tells tells Saul, I have killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul relents. He does the prudent and pragmatic thing. He tries to put armor on David and tries to give him a sword, but it's all much too big for David. David's not even familiar with it. So David leaves the weapons behind, and David leaves the armor behind, and he confronts Goliath with just a sling in his hand. And David and Faith say this to Goliath, verse 45. He says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. That's exactly what happens. With one well-placed stone, David fells Goliath and then uses Goliath's giant sword to kill him and cut off his head. And because David got out of the boat and trusted God, faith became contagious. All of the army got out of their boats and ran to the battle instead of running away. And God gave the Israelite army a great victory. It's another confrontation between fear and and faith. Fear said, he's nine feet tall. Fear said, his armor weighs almost as much as you weigh. Fear said, run back to the boat. But faith said, the Lord who has delivered me will deliver me. Faith said, I come in the name of the Lord who will hand you over to me. Faith said, I'm not fighting with swords or javelin or spear. I'm fighting the battle of the Lord. And so faith said, the battle is the Lord's. And faith said, who needs a boat? It's a confrontation between fear and faith. It's a confrontation that we face every minute of every day. Are we going to live by fear? Are we going to live by faith? Which one are we going to listen to? 
I want to close by summarizing five lessons that we can learn about fear and faith from these two stories from the Bible. Lesson number one, fear does amazing things to us. Fear makes us live as though we serve a God who is limited, as though we serve a God who is finite, as though we serve a God who's partially present or semi-competent. Fear makes us say things like, well, sure, God performed mighty miracles in Egypt. Sure, God parted the Red Sea. Sure, God provided water and manna and quail, but even he can't be counted on to defeat fortified cities. Even he can't be counted on to defeat giant people. Can he? See, our fear causes us to shrink our God, to make him smaller than he is. But lesson number two, because of this, we shouldn't conclude that faith is the absence of fear. There are things to be afraid of. Nine-feet men with big weapons and much armor, they should be feared. Faith isn't the absence of fear. Faith is the trust that God is bigger than our fears. It's true, humans can't walk on water. It's true that former slaves shouldn't be counted on to conquer fortified cities. It's true that shepherd boys shouldn't be able to defeat giant professional soldiers, but their God can. And that's why lesson number three, that's why faith says go even when our fears are telling us no. Faith says go even when our fears are telling us no. And lesson number four, if we listen to our fear, and if our answer is no, failure's guaranteed. You see, failure's guaranteed if you don't get out of the boat. If you don't get out of the boat, water doesn't get walked on. Canaan doesn't get conquered. And Goliath keeps coming out twice every single day. Automatic failure if we don't get out of the boat. Lesson number five. We'll never know that God is trustworthy if we don't take the risk of obeying his call. We'll never know that God's trustworthy if we don't take the risk of obeying his call. You know, a whole generation of Israelites died And they died not knowing that their God could be trusted to keep his promise of delivering their homeland. And an entire army, the entire Israelite army would have kept running away from the battle if David hadn't stepped out to show that God is faithful. We'll never know how faithful and trustworthy and big is our God if we don't answer his call to get out of our boats. So we're going to continue to ask ourselves this question. Will we stay comfortably in our boats? Or are we going to join Jesus, the faithful and trustworthy Lord? Are we going to join him out on the water? Will you live by fear? Or will you live by faith? Let's pray. Father, we come before you confessing that we are a fearful people. And, Father, we have a hard time trusting you. 
And Father, open our eyes to see who you are, how great, how powerful, how trustworthy and faithful you are. And to know that you, Father, the the God who delivered the promised land, the God who defeated the giant, the God who called Peter out onto the water, Father, help us to realize that you are still working and active in our lives and in our world. And Father, help us to set aside our fears and trust in you and you alone. We pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen. Are you ready for another uncomfortable challenge? This one is very different. This is not something that you're going to do here. It's something that I'm going to ask you to do during the week at home. So instead of sitting in a different section, I'm going to ask you to do something different than most of us do anymore. It involves pen and ink and paper. I'm going to ask you to write just one note, one card of appreciation to at least one person from this congregation this week. I want you to identify someone who serves this congregation. Maybe it's someone who always greets you cheerfully. Maybe it's the teacher of your class. Maybe it's the teacher of your children's class. Maybe it's someone that you observe working behind the scenes. But someone who is a servant of this congregation, I want to ask you to take the time to pin a note, to pin a card, put it inside an envelope, put a stamp on it. For you guys that don't know what a stamp is, ask your parents. Put a stamp on it and stick it in the mail so that we can all be encouraged. Let's encourage the encouragers throughout this next week. And now as we end, let's stand and let's sing. Let's sing in wonder and praise that we serve a God who can be trusted more than we can ask or imagine if we'll just step out of our boats. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd.